Again, a brand new edition of the CBS Sports Ion College Basketball Podcast. I am your fill-in host, Matt Norlander. Hope everyone's doing well. We've got a lot to get to here, and uh, we certainly will do that with all the craziness that's happened in college basketball over the past couple of days, and uh, obviously a pretty eventful, meaningful weekend coming up ahead. February is coming to a close, and of course there are just so many uh, games of importance. But before we get to that, Parrish obviously is not on this podcast. For those that follow him on Twitter or perhaps are are fans of his Facebook page, you're aware of the reason why. But if you are not aware, I will fill you in uh, with Gary's blessing. So Gary has, as he had mentioned on a podcast a few weeks back, was expecting a third child in June. Uh, Tragically, he and his wife lost that child. He found out early this week. Um, it's an absolutely devastating and, and quite honestly infuriating thing because the child was lost to a very rare uh, incident in which the umbilical cord got tied. You can't prevent it from happening. It almost never happens, but um, it did happen here. It's very tragic. Feel free to send your uh, condolences and, and you know messages of goodwill to, to Gary at Gary Parish CBS on Twitter if you'd like. We are very much thinking of you, buddy, and you have no business listening to this podcast. So maybe you're not. Man, I hope not. Yeah, seriously. Uh, So we're just, you know, we want you to take as much time as you need. We're here for you. It's just an absolutely terrible thing. I will be honest. This was the one thing that terrified me. I had my son back in November, but I have known a couple of people who have lost children, uh, you know, two, three months out from expected due dates. It is just, you know, it is just something that throughout a pregnancy, you're always worried about. And in this case, it happened. So we're all heartbroken for, for Gary. I'm joined on this podcast uh, by Sam Bassini, who's on every episode. And Chip Patterson uh, had to get Chip on the podcast. So he's with me as well. But I wanted to acknowledge that off the top. Uh, we love you, Gary. Uh, just, you know, tremendous colleague, does so much good good work and such a great guy. And uh, his family has been hit with some tragedy. And certainly our thoughts are continually with him. Yeah, like uh, not not the not the terms I wanted to make my podcast debut on. But, man, just uh, just the kind of thing that I think we all when we found it out, just kind of floored, gutted, just gut punch after gut punch for sure. Yeah, I mean, that uh, that Facebook post that he wrote was just it, like like Chip said, it was a gut punch just after another one. It was uh, incredibly written and just totally devastating to read. I mean, Gary is one of the probably best people that I know personally. I mean, every time that I shoot him a text message saying like, hey, I need some some advice on something. I mean, just starting out uh, recently in writing as compared to. Uh, doing business stuff in the entertainment industry and stuff. He's been there uh, every turn for me without even hesitation, without any sort of problem. And he's there immediately. So uh, I hope that he can get through this with his family. And, you know, it's just terrible. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And, and, the, and, the, and I promise we're going to get to hoops in just a second here. But I want to note that, um, you know, Gary is really one of the most uplifting, funniest, best storytellers uh, that we know that's in media. I mean, it's, it, you know, he is, he is so well connected and so uh, beloved that it's just, it's a tragedy. And I want to send a note to his wife, Kelly, who is, uh, you know, he mentions Kelly occasionally on the podcast. She is just an awesome woman. Um, fantastic. When I had my son, she went out of her way to send us things that, you know, Gary has a, a young child, a young son, Oliver. She sent us stuff that Oliver had liked that she had bought from little boutique stores in Memphis. Oh, and, dope. And so, and like, this is mm-hmm. just, it's completely unfair. And um, our thoughts are with you. Uh, let's turn to... For sure, yeah. Let's turn to hoops here. It's been, I mean, I want to get to every team that lost here of consequence uh, this week in terms of top 10, because now we've had... I mean, we had Maryland go down to Minnesota. We had Iowa lose at Penn State. We we had Carolina lose at Duke in such a weird, freaky, bizarre way that 
uh, I, I'm still kind of flustered by what happened with, with <laughs> UNC. It was just so bizarre. And then, of course, Texas Tech, Oklahoma. Chip, I'll lob it up to you first. Which of those four to you uh, is the maybe the most cataclysmic or certainly just stands out to you uh, for whatever reason of, of all those four that have happened over the past two nights? I would say probably Texas Tech, Oklahoma, just because it went so under the radar that like we, I think there was so much focus on uh, what was going on, obviously in the Dean dome. But the, the fact is that North Carolina team, you know, if you were going to make it the number one team in the country coming into the year, because it was the team with the most known entities, well, they're also going to have some of the same trends and some of the same habits and some of the, the same features of the team from a year ago, which yeah, like when they got it together in the ACC tournament, it was pretty good when they got together in the NCAA tournament. They looked good against a Wisconsin team that obviously went on to be the national runner up. But there were also those times in the regular season where you just like stretches of basketball and not always uh, not always like long entire games, but stretches of basketball where you just were uninspired. And I think the fact that they have been so poor in close games this year is the ultimate damning thing about that North Carolina team. So like everyone was zoned in on that. And here we go with Oklahoma coming off the Kansas loss, losing to a Texas tech team that now has three straight wins against ranked teams. And so you're kind of confused about the big 12, but at the same time obsessed with the rivalry that Duke's kind of dominated. So it was like those two events were happening at the same time. And one got all the national attention, the sports center attention. Hmm. The other one totally below the fold. You're right, Chip. That absolutely happened because as the Duke basically happened within 15 seconds. Seconds of each other. Of each other. Like, yeah, absolutely. Right. And in Texas Tech, the, I don't have the player's name off the top of my head. I wasn't on duty for the game, uh, but he traveled at the he end. He traveled. I took gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. I mean, Sam, blatant travel. <laughs> this is the second time in a number of days where a game has ended on an uncalled travel. Yeah. I don't know what the referees were doing there. That was, that was weird. I'll say that. Uh, I mean, it probably doesn't end up making a difference considering I think there would have been like 0.5 seconds left in that game, but it was weird. I mean, <laughs> I don't know why you wouldn't call that either. Uh, the game that I think is the biggest surprise out of the group that you mentioned though, what was Maryland doing? tonight oh man like minnesota was 0-13 uh hadn't won since like december 20th and uh, like they're not good either i know that this was on the road and you know th there was no diamond stone for maryland but at some point you just gotta win the game i mean this is reminiscent of when rutgers just randomly beat wisconsin last sure. year i mean wisconsin was without frank and kaminsky exactly yes absolutely yes and, and you know diamond stone isn't frank kaminsky by any means but it, it's it, it's very reminiscent in that way and you know this maryland team is confounding and you know frustrating and doesn't really fit together like we kind of alluded to on the last podcast it's I don't know what to make of them. I don't know if they should be a, a two seed, a five seed. Like their their resume isn't particularly good. Their talent level, their ceiling is incredibly high. Uh, if they can figure out a way to fit the pieces together, but they still haven't figured that out yet. And we're really coming down to the end of the season here. I figured it would take a while. I figured it would take maybe until the end of January to get all of these new pieces. I mean, you bring in three new guys that are going to play major roles in Rashid Suleiman, Diamond Stone, and Robert Carter. I figured, you know, end of January, they're going to start getting it going. And then by mid-February, uh, this is going to be one of the better teams in the country. But th that's not what's happening here. And uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see where this team goes because their uh, their problems are pretty vast right now. Sam makes a great point. We are now at the point here where basically every team in college basketball has four or five games left on the regular season schedule okay this this is march is right around the corner maryland has lost back-to-back -back games for the first time in two seasons the minnesota loss was the the first bad loss of maryland's season the, the next closest one would be at michigan and i wouldn't qualify that necessarily as a bad loss the wolverines are probably going to struggle to sneak into the tournament i think because lavert the lavert situation is way weird and it wouldn't be shocking if he honestly he came back briefly if he doesn't come back again that could be really weird for them the minnesota loss here for maryland is flat out bizarre i watched the entire listen, i was on duty for this game i was like all right i'll i'll take 
Maryland. If it loses at Minnesota, I'll write it. That's not happening. And it, <laughs> I mean, M- Minnesota was staring down its longest losing streak in basically three decades. Uh, it was a, it's a great night for that program to finally get a win, and those players are probably honestly. I've never been in that spot, but when you have gone more than two months without tasting a win, I, I bet it feels like they made the Final Four tonight to them because they finally got it, and they got it over a six-ranked Maryland team that was thought to be the best team in the Big Ten. It's really weird. It definitely will cost Maryland a one. It won't necessarily cost them a two just yet because if they ran the table, they would get a two seed. I don't know if they will, and Mello Trimble has some serious issues. I mean, he had six turnovers. He had a brutal final stretch there for Maryland tonight, and I don't quite know what's up with that. I mean, like, I, I love Trimble's game, but, Chip, it's something is amiss. Well, I was going to say, regardless of seed, do you trust this Maryland team at all to be anything other than a, a Sweet 16 team? I mean, you can say that about, honestly, all but maybe the three teams that are going to be in the tournament in terms of just the trust factor, because what's happening right. here and what I wrote was – like all these teams are opening up opportunities to everyone else to kind of sort through the wreckage and, and, and get a nice perch and get good positioning. But no one seems to want to do that. Like we yeah. are continually seeing brutal losses and this was the most stunning of them yet. I think, I mean, maybe I'm missing a, a point blank obvious one, but in just in terms of a ranked team loser, I mean, this is brutal. Minnesota yeah. is God awful. Yeah, they are they're, a they're awful, two. awful team. There are two that I can think of. There's this one, and there's Dayton somehow losing to LaSalle, uh, who is like 5-18 and 18 or something right now. Um, those are the two that really stick out to me. This loss is just, like you said, it's confounding. Uh, it would be like, like, Minnesota isn't Rutgers bad. Like, Rutgers is the worst high major team I've seen in a long, long time, we'll say, at least in three years. Um this Minnesota team, you know, had been playing better. It was probably going to pick up a win eventually, but not over Maryland. I mean, Maryland, like we've said, is really good. It's just a weird, weird loss, and it's getting harder and harder to defend this team. I agree. Uh, we'll see what what happens here. I, I'm I'm still going to have a hard time not picking them to get into the second weekend because I've kind of fallen in love with the roster, but I, maybe this – Maybe it just puts them in gear and, and they turn it around. We'll see. Uh, a real quick note on Oklahoma. I Listen, I said it on last week's podcast. I, I'm rooting for Buddy Heal to win player of the year because I picked it. But it simply was not as much of a given as everyone was saying. And now Oklahoma's dropped two. Michigan State got its job done. Denzel Valentine has become the first Big Ten player in 20 years to have three straight games of 20 points and 10 assists. This is quickly becoming a legitimate real deal. Sam, I don't remember what your stance was on last Friday's podcast, but were you kind of there with GP thinking it was a done deal with Buddy? No, not at all. I was with you. Okay. Uh, I wrote in my top 101, which we'll get to at the end of the podcast, um, that I-, I think this is far from a done deal. I think that there are multiple guys even beyond Valentine and Heald and, uh, you know, Eulis uh, and Ben sure. Simmons. And there are a lot of guys that can get into this race still. I mean, we still have what eight regular season games left. That's like 25% of the season. And it's the key 25% of the season coming down the stretch here. So I don't think this is a done deal at all. And the way that Denzel Valentine's playing, he's averaging something like, and I did the numbers whenever I did the uh, top 101 and wrote his section, I think yesterday morning, uh, it's like 23 points, eight rebounds and seven and a half assists or something since like January 12th. He's been outrageous since they got through that little stretch where they lost a few games. Uh, And Buddy Heald has been good, not great. And, and, you know, this is very much not a, it's not a sprint necessarily. It's a marathon to get through the college basketball season. And uh, like I mentioned in the video that I shot for CBS in the top 100, if you would have looked at Leonard Fournette, in you know the beginning of November for college football and chip will be able to tell you this better than anyone everyone was talking about he was a sure thing Heisman candidate and he ended up not even being a finalist so I don't even do two bad games done deal by any means yeah yeah two bad games totally changes the public perception and that's just kind of where we're at with these award discussions and like I feel like Buddy Heald last two games the fact you've got not like not just the fact that uh maybe like 
there was a, a few spots in the first half, obviously against Kansas where he wasn't great, came on strong in the second half, but not a good performance against Texas Tech either. Denzel Valentine at the same time, like putting himself in those, like on those lists, and, and you mentioned this actually, Sam, in your piece, like 19 points, seven rebounds, seven assists. It's just a sick, well-rounded stat line. No one's done it in 20 years. Like those are the types of candy. That's what I always call it for the Heisman discussion. Like voters like candy, the little lines where you say, has it been since those sorts of little stats that that's what gets Valentine right up in there. I think it's one a one B as we're going into the weekend right now. Yeah. And that's another thing too. I mean, there are four guys right now that are doing things at high major programs that have not been done in the last 20 years. Like Chris Dunn's line of what is it? It's 16, six, five, and three steals hasn't been done in 20 years. Uh, you know, Ben Simmons, 19, 12, and five hasn't been done in 20 years. Uh, Denzel Valentine, like Chip said, hasn't been done in 20 years. Buddy Heald shooting percentages on his uh, volume hasn't been done in 20 years. Like we are having just tremendous individual performances yeah, across the board. Remarkable, remarkable individual performances from older players across the board this season. And uh, I guess younger players too, and Ben Simmons, but uh, it's not a done deal at all by any means uh, in part because of that. And the weird thing is you've got, and I love that we've had these uh, huge seasons for all these guys in so many different ways with Valentine Heal, Dunn, Simmons, but the juxtaposed, it's juxtaposed against this, this irony and that they're having great seasons. And usually when you have stars of that caliber, it should indicate that we have some certain teams that are really, you know, especially they're, they're happening at major programs, you know, uh, yeah. and on a, on a lower level, Sean Long is like set to become the second player ever with a certain, like over 2,500 points and seven and like seven fifteen hundred rebounds. That might be way off. I saw the stat earlier. So he even, he's even another guy at a lower level. Um, yeah. it's really cool. But again, you know, just teams keep losing and losing and losing. Sam, you had mentioned eight games left. Are you including, you know, conference season? tournament? Yeah. yeah, I was. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm just, just, you know, want to clarify that, by that for listeners. You had mentioned Simmons. I don't think he's really got any shot at winning player of the year because voters on the whole will take in, uh, teams that have won at a higher rate. And to me, Michigan state, I, I'm, I disagree with that to a certain degree because what Simmons is doing is, is certainly huge, but LSU did lose at home to Alabama. It's now 16 and 10. I I haven't done out the math. If I did, I think I'd barely have the Tigers in. I'm talking like Dayton first four in right now. They've got kind of a slippery thing here, guys. Um, and we really don't need to spend more than like three minutes on LSU because we've talked about them plenty. And I know we're going to talk about them next week because they have um, at Tennessee on Saturday and then they get at Arkansas on Tuesday. Now, neither of those teams are going to be going to the tournament and both are going to struggle to even make the NIT. But I think it's a situation where LSU will probably get out of that with a one and one record. And I still think after that, it's going to kind of be where it's at. And then it gets home to Florida, home to Missouri, at Kentucky. It, to me, it's got to go two and one over that stretch to still be in a good position. But it just seems for the past six weeks, and I think LSU is kind of destined. It's just kind of spinning its wheels in the same place. And I think at best, it's going to be in a situation where it's like a 10 seat heading in. Chip, you know, this is the first time on the podcast. So we, you haven't had a real chance to uh, opine <laughs> on Ben Simmons and the whole LSU thing. What are your thoughts on this team's standing and whether it's deserving of, of a, a real look at the NCAA tournament at this point? When uh, when Craig Victor really gets going, and that seems to be like a total dice roll and bad odds on your dice roll. Like, But when Craig Victor really gets going uh, down low and like Blakeney's hot, like I, I don't know if there's a team in the SEC that I feel more confident in to just get hot and win a couple games. So like, even if they go into the sec tournament on the bubble, like needing one of those situations where, okay, you need to win X number of games. Hopefully you get a draw that gives you the opportunity for a quality win with Ben Simmons, Antonio Blankney, uh, you know, if Craig Victor's active down low, if Quarterman's good, like they've, they've got enough of those pieces where compared to you know, what, what are you going to do better on Florida? Nah, forget that in a, in a tournament setting. I don't think so. Like at least LSU has that, uh, the potential of explosiveness where going into that conference tournament, I at least give them a better, better than even shot to surprise somebody, maybe even go in there and win it. So I kind of feel like they'll be in the final field of 68 even if it's uh, desperation 
need to win the tournament or at least get close kind of uh, case by the time we get to the conference tournament. Uh, there are a few. I mean, listen, to me, I kind of yeah. went on a mini tweet yeah, storm. Go I was going to say, can you give me your hot takes here on this, Matt? Because Why? you've been you've been uh, pretty vocal about LSU I'm and saving, uh, I'm saving it. I'm saving perception. It. I want to say <laughs> I'm saving it. I'm saving it for next week. But I just wanted to get Chip on the record. Let's see what happens. I've got some thoughts on LSU, but I want to save it. Well, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, who else are you going to pick in the SEC? I just don't. I don't. I'm not impressed by SEC basketball at all. <laughs> you're not. You're not. I'm just alone. not. You're not, I'm not alone. impressed. You're not alone. Okay, real quick. Yeah, by the way, I think Florida is better than LSU. There is like, an Florida, argument. Yeah, Florida I, at least has like a top ten defense in the country. Uh, Dorian Finney-Smith, Kavon Allen, you know, Ibunu, the big guys. That decent. Georgia game was awful. That was just a terrible game. Brutal, but yeah, you know, brutal, they play but you know terrible what? games. Yeah, but yeah, but then you know what they got? That's one of those like just get the win and get the hell out of there and just keep your resume <laughs> on the on the correct and and they did. Um, let me just roll off a few games from Wednesday because there were, in my opinion, this was a pretty significant past forty eight hours, so to speak. I mean, is there anything else? Duke Carolina has been talked about and written about so much. I I don't really think we need to get too much into it here, right? I mean, unless I'm good with with shoving off Duke Carolina, but if you guys want to provide anything on it, Sam, anything? Um, just that Brandon Ingram's a monster. Uh, I mean, you watch we'll him in the second credit. half of that game. I'm giving you credit right now. Because I remember in like late November or maybe early December, I definitely discredited your notion. And I shouldn't have. I was wrong. But you definitely said, listen, we could come to a time where Ingram leapfrogged Simmons for number one. And I was like, dude, I don't see how there's any way that's happening. It's now a legit debate. You were right. I was wrong. Continue. Yeah, I mean, it's like, like I've t- I talked to scouts at that time who were like, yeah, I see what Ben Simmons is doing. And where they were like, yeah, you know, Brandon Ingram, he's probably at the end of the year going to be playing way better because he's way younger and uh, he's eventually going to figure out how to play. But, you know, I didn't think he would be this good at any point this season. The way that he's even without a mature body, uh, the way that he battles for rebounds and the way that he can just shoot from wherever he shoots off the dribble really well. He gets into the mid range and uh, he gets to the rim with ease and can slam because of that uh, long, long wingspan. And there's just so many things to like about Brandon Ingram right now. And he just turned 18. Uh, He is the sky is the limit for that kid. And I I have been just so remarkably impressed with what his uh, development has been this season, even let alone from where we were against what, like against Indiana, he had a really bad game. I want to say, or maybe that was the one where he came out of his shell a little bit, but like Kentucky since that moment, bad. yeah, Kentucky wasn't very good. I mean, since that moment, it's just been, it's just been remarkable. It has um, a few quick results and then I'll, I'll set you up here, Chip. Uh, St. Joe's beat Dayton. That's critical to the A-10 because the A-10 has not had a great year, but it might be developing itself to where it can get four bids, which would help the conference. Dayton's the best team. It was a tough spot. You know, they lost on the road to a St. Joe's team, which I, I people don't realize the resume quality there, I don't think. St. Joe's has a really, really good shot at making the tournament if it doesn't lose games that it shouldn't. So good result there. Um, Syracuse. I, I don't know. They're, they're weird. I, I mean, they lose by 14 against Louisville. There's no shame in losing at Louisville, but they looked hideous. It, they're, I, they're emblematic of just like 50 teams a season where I just don't know what the hell's going on. So Syracuse uh, missed opportunity there. Providence is really sliding. Hasn't beat a team not named Georgetown in more than a month. Uh, they got handled at Xavier again, similar to Syracuse. They had to go to a really tough environment. You don't expect. Hold on. To... Do, do we think Providence is in trouble? They could yeah. be in trouble. Yeah. Oh yeah. They could be, they could be in trouble. I mean, there's, there's definitely legitimacy to that. And now we're coming full circle here where we thought this might be the situation to begin with. And this is why Dunn is not going to win player of the year because his team, I mean, unless they just like, unless like Dunn goes off for the next four games and they blow out teams, mm-hmm. he'd be back on it. But yeah, they got a tricky one at Seton Hall which Seton Hall is right there. I mean, there are just some Bama, Texas Tech, Seton Hall. These are programs, and I kind of touched on this a little bit on the podcast earlier this week. They haven't been good recently. No one thought they would be anywhere near the NCAA tournament, and they're right there. Like, Bama and Tech are, are in the tournament right now, and Seton Hall is knocking on the door 
Chip, you're absolutely right that Providence is it's in a it's in a sticky spot here because it's two final home games. They're they can't lose situations to Paul and Creighton, and then it's got to play at Seton Hall, at St. John's. It should win all of those games, but yet it hasn't proven as of late that it can win these games, and so. Providence could fall into a very slippery spot. Just keep an eye on it. Um, within that league, Chip, Nova Rock Temple. I thought Temple would win. They didn't. Villanova is a team that's not going to get love because of what it's done in the tournament in recent years. But it's 23-3. and It's only losses. It got romped in Hawaii by Oklahoma back on uh, December 7th. And it got beat by 11 at Virginia. No real shame in that, considering what Virginia is and what it's you know become again after a little bit of a slump. And then the other, only other loss was an overtime loss against Providence uh, almost a month ago. That was an interesting game. Providence played really, really well. So Villanova, one seed chip. Do you buy this team? Because I feel like people in college basketball circles, they see what Wright has built. They see the roster. Uh, and they kind of like and they embrace mostly Doug Gottlieb hates Nova. Shout out to God, Doug Gottlieb. <laughs> but uh, and a lot of people outside of or just who follow the sport casually are like, now Villanova total fraud. Not going to trust them again. Where do you fall with Nova Chip? I had my heart broken by this Villanova team last year, and I am absolutely uh, shattered because of it. And mostly, honestly, the the basketball gods had to frown on making a T-shirt because you hit number one in the polls, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Did y'all catch this? Yeah. Like that Villanova made t-shirts to commemorate the fact that you were number one. And yes, I get that. I know it's been a long time, but I just think that when you make a t-shirt to celebrate being number one in a mid-season associated press ranking, like you're just like setting yourself up for the epic, you know, elite eight crumble. And that's the thing is I think this Villanova team is great. And like, I, I, I love like I've like Ochefu is a player that I feel like I've I've kind of like watched and always wanted him to take the next step. He he reminds me of of these guys that you spend each October getting excited to see if they're going to take that next step to becoming somebody of maybe potentially national relevance, and it doesn't happen. And 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 I feel that way kind of with this Villanova team in terms of you know the Final Four barrier breaking it down. And so yeah, this team's straight, but you make T-shirts like that, I'm not going to pick you to go to the Final Four. <laughs> that's that's fair. Shout out to Kerry Kittles though. Um, from Thursday, aside from the uh, from the Maryland debacle, um, UCLA. I mean, just Georgetown and UCLA team, two teams that lost this week. Vanderbilt's right there with them. I mean, just like total disappointments. UCLA's resume is so weird. And again, like, I, I don't want to throw dirt on them because it's not like they're dead, dead. Because honestly, like, if they turned it around and they won, you know, five of their next six, they would have a decent tournament resume and a decent case. But they lost at home to Utah. They rallied late. They couldn't get the win. Sam wrote about UConn beating SMU. Uh, Sam, any thoughts on the Huskies, who we haven't given too much discussion on the podcast this year because UConn honestly hasn't given us too much reason to discuss them <laughs> but they got basically I mean I think barring a collapse here I, I think UConn's gonna get in they don't have a bad loss on the resume they did get swept by Temple that's like borderline bad but Temple you know they're not awful what do you think Sam Right. No, I think Connecticut's in uh, at this point. I mean, they, they can't drop and hemorrhage games down the stretch, but assuming that they take care of business at home, they have two home games left and win one of these two road games, most like, or one of these three road games, I think that they'll probably be fine. They came in tonight at 45 in the RPI. Uh, they now have two top 25 wins. They now have a 500 record against the top 100, which doesn't look great, but they'll get a chance to kind of knock that number up a little bit. Uh, here at the end of the year. And this is just a really weird team. I mean, this is a group of guys that a talented group of guys that I liked coming into the year a lot. Uh, I thought Sterling Gibbs would be way better than he is right now. Great point. I thought that Jalen Adams uh, would make a little bit more of an impact than he has. He's making it, making a bigger impact uh, recently, but he hasn't been necessarily great this year with this decision-making. Daniel Hamilton hasn't really matured as a shooter yet. And plus they lost Amita Brima for a pretty long time. I want to say 11 games. So I think that they might just be starting to coalesce right now and really starting to get it together. But until that totally happens, 
it's hard for me to buy this team's a legitimate contender uh, to maybe get to the second weekend just because this offense is so ugly to watch. I mean, it's not even like at the end of their games, they just totally shut down. I mean, they go into this shell where it's not that they aren't running plays and they're just standing around. They're running plays, but uh, they're not really it seems like they're not running off these cuts hard and not really trying to get open. Uh, and then it just comes down to with seven seconds on the shot clock left, the ball's either in Daniel Hamilton or Jalen Adams hands, and they just have to go and create something either off of a screen. And you see these one-on-one ugly offensive possessions, just about every single game for them. It's really frustrating to watch. And, uh, I don't know what to make of them yet, just because I think that the Brima addition, like we saw tonight could really make a big difference as they continue to play together more down the stretch. Because again, this is a team that added a few new pieces this off season, Sean Miller, Jalen Adams, uh, Sterling Gibbs, and maybe as they coalesce, they can really continue to improve. But until that happens, I'm, I'm not sold. Got to tell you on them actually yeah. succeeding. Yeah, I'm with you. They're weird. Now, uh, Thursday night was the most important win of the season just because it's the first team they had when they had over a ranked team this season. SMU has been pretty solid overall, and it, it, mean, it meant something within the, the conference race because now Temple actually leads the league. Uh, at 10 and 3, UConn's right there behind 9 and 4. I remember this was at a time when we were like, well, can SMU go undefeated? And that kind of predictably kind of fell apart a little bit. Um, let's look ahead here. So let me just give me like two minutes to vamp on Friday night because we got. I'm giving love to the small schools here, okay? Well, all right, do before, you do, before you do, one more note. Can I drop a note on UConn? I don't get many moments here. At Chip, drop away. Okay. Chip, you should I, you should talk the rest of the podcast because we I, don't know I, when no, the next Sam, time is. Sam is going hog wild right now because GP's not hosting yeah. and he's not throwing <laughs> it to me, so he's getting all his words in right yeah. now. What's yeah, happening I, right now? I, I do think that UConn sort of occupies that space both in conference tournament and NCAA tournament where I could see them losing their very first game or getting hot and going on a run. And the the fact that, again, with Brima coming back, and, and you know, man, I've, I wanted Hamilton to be so good this year, and it just hasn't really come together. I kind of feel like, though, in the tournament setting, that might be one of those players. Like, similar to some of the same vibe that I said about LSU, I think UConn occupies that space where I could see them losing to, like, their very first game. They show up, they're flat, they get beat, and that's it. And that could happen in the conference tournament. It could happen in the round of 64 first round, but I have no idea what to expect from him. So erratic, so impossible to call. I okay. feel like the weird thing is, though, Daniel Hamilton, I feel like, has had a good year. I, he just can't score efficiently. Like, he's leading the league in defensive be rebounding. I, I know, but when yeah. I watch him, I want him to be even better. Right, exactly. okay. Yeah, I, I, I know there's more. There's more that can be had there. I know it. I feel it. Yeah, like, I had to put him in the 50s on my thing because, like, He's leading the conference in assist rate and in defensive rebounding. And he's averaging like 12 points a game or whatever. But like, he's really good already. I just want more. I agree with you. It's it's weird to watch him play. He's a really weird player. Friday night, three interesting games on the mid-major level. Uh, well, actually four. VCU hosts, hosts Richmond. It should win that game. But that is a really intense local rivalry. And Richmond's gotten some wins over the Rams in recent years. VCU, it would behoove them not to lose that game. That's a tricky tournament team forecasting going forward. They could really use it. Elsewhere, Monmouth hosts Iona. At this point, Monmouth, if it were to win, win out and like not lose again until Selection Sunday, honestly, like Monmouth would have a legitimate case at like a, a seven seed. Maybe would land around in that eight nine game. The non-conference wins. It strength the schedule. Sam, do you have RPI up in front of you right now? Um, not yet, but right. I can look Give at it real quick. R- Listen, I hate RPI, but this is what the committee is going to use. I'm just wondering what their RPI is. Monmouth's uh, RPI is 40. Yeah, they would be right in their 789 range if they went out. But tricky game at home to, uh, against Iona. Sam wrote up, it was like a month ago, it happened at like 11.45 at night. Uh, these two teams like almost brawled on the floor in the handshake line after the game. So it's just something to keep an eye on. It's mm-hmm. The game is actually on ESPNU, and I will be watching that game because we'll see. Iona's a very proud program. It's been really good in that league. Monmouth is obviously getting all the headlines. Keep an eye. Another game, Oakland at Valpo. 
Oakland doesn't have a chance at it at large, but it does have the best player in the league and a guy that Sam has, I think, 11th, 12th, or 13th on his top 101. Kay Felder is having a nasty year, and we spoke earlier about all these players that are doing things that haven't been done in two decades. Well, Kay Felder could become, I think, the first player ever. I don't think it's going to happen, but he's still, like, it's still a, a faint possibility to be a uh, leading scorer leading assist man in all of college basketball. Regardless, he's going to be top five in both categories. That's awesome and amazing. Valpo is 26 in Ken Palm. They will very much be a very trendy team uh, picked in the tournament if they get there. They're the number one defense in the country on a per-possession basis. That's pretty awesome. Uh, just keep an eye on that one. Valpo should win it. They already beat Oakland handily earlier this season at Oakland. Uh, Bryce Drew's got a really good team there. The other game, I wrote about Yale on the site. If you're interested, go check it out. I'm fascinated by Yale. They haven't gotten to the tournament since 62. I've been jinxing programs. I mean, Chip's all aware of this. Sam has felt it as well. There's this thing where you write about <laughs> these programs, and then the next game they lose. Yale's going to lose at Princeton, I think, because Princeton's a, a good team. It's a tough team. It's the only team that has not gotten beaten by Yale by double digits in the Ivy this year. The Bulldogs are off to an 8-0 start in the league. It is the best program start ever in the Ivy, and they are two wins away of, of tying uh, a 14-game winning streak that dates back to 1907 when Yale was taking out the New Haven YMCA. Um, really solid team, uh, a fun team, a good team. It's got some legitimacy inside and outside. That's a big game within the Ivy. Uh, Yale, print, and I know GP is not giving any time to the Ivy on future podcasts, so I'm getting it all in right now. Yale, <laughs> Yale Princeton, and Columbia – have lived up to expectations within the league. Yale was barely picked to win over Columbia and Princeton. It could be a situation where we go to a playoff this year. I don't know. If Yale wins at Princeton, I think it will be almost definite that it's going to get that bid finally after not having been there since 62. Columbia hasn't been there since 69. Princeton, obviously, for so many years was so good and was making it and kind of going right there with Penn. So those are interesting games happening on Friday. A sassy quote, too, James Jones, right? Very sassy. Hey, listen, shout out to James Jones because I so a little behind, like I go to the game uh, against Columbia a couple of weeks ago when Brandon Sherrod, who left the sport for a year to go sing and, and tour the globe nationally in an acapella group. Again, they just do things differently at Yale. Um, so I go and watch him. He hit 30 straight field goals across five games, an NCAA record. And after the game, I'm kind of trying to talk to him in the hallway, Brandon Sherrod, and then uh, James Jones walks by, and I go, hey, coach, can I just get you for a quick second? And he basically just, in a joking but half-serious manner, is like, no one at your site picked us to win the Ivy. I saw that grid, and he's referring to, like, the, the pick matrix. Yeah, I'm on it. I mean, I can't – I'm laughing. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, really? I, I, was like, I was like, listen, I'll tell you right now, I picked Columbia. I'm, I'm not running from it, but no one so picked did I. Me. And he's, I was like, no one picked Yale? He's like, no one. <laughs> so um, I think I picked Harvard. Oh, that, I, yeah, you did because I was like, dude, Harvard has no shot to win the Ivy this year, but you stuck with it. Hey, props to that. Yeah. Um, so those are some interesting Friday ones. Mm -hmm. We can get to Saturday because that's the big stuff there. Real uh, quick, can I give some K Felder stats? If you no, you know what? You can give K Felder stats when we get to your freaking top one hundred one. Go Grizzlies! Yeah, that's cool. I'm good with that. Okay, um, I'm gonna run down games and then Chip, you pick the two that you want to talk about here. This is All Saturday, right. loaded. OU at West Virginia. Kentucky at Texas A&M, Miami at UNC, Kansas maybe in a tricky spot at K-State. We'll see. Duke at Louisville, Purdue at Indiana, Notre Dame, Georgia Tech is not that good. Uh, Xavier at Georgetown, just keep an eye on it. UConn at Cincy, Cincy lost at Tulsa on Thursday night, and Cincinnati's now in a desperate, desperate spot. Uh, you got Florida at South Carolina. Uh, you got Baylor at Texas, LSU at Tennessee. Saturday's pretty loaded, man. What sticks out to you? Man, does like you, you mentioned desperate, but I'm thinking about this this Oklahoma team. Like going up against West Virginia, you you're looking at one of the best three point shooting teams in the Big Twelve. But are they going to be able to like set up the good three point opportunities uh, against West Virginia's defense. I don't know. Uh, also looking in the same way, obviously at how North Carolina responds against a weird Miami team. Uh, I think I've mentioned it a couple times in our Slack chat room, but I kind of feel like this Miami team just plays to the level of its competition, which means for those, those Saturday afternoon games in the Dean Dome, it's always a little bit more of a family atmosphere. Sometimes you get a little bit of a sleepy start. It could be a spot where the Hurricanes could maybe 
come in there and at least put themselves in a position to win. But again, this Miami team's been weird, and it seems like every game they play, whether it's Wake Forest, Florida State, or uh, or against Pittsburgh or whoever, it seems like a lot of these games are close. So uh, I would say that you know Oklahoma and North Carolina, like how, how are you going to respond to those back to back? Again, we said earlier in the podcast, fifteen seconds apart, two kind of crazy crazy losses right there, uh, both in a position where they could potentially lose again. So I think that those are easily the two that stick out to me. Sam, what about you? What's what's uh, what are you keying in on there for Saturday? Um, I, I would say Purdue Indiana, just because that's kind of a really weird matchup between two teams. Like Indiana's a really perimeter based team. Purdue's a, a really interior based team where you know AJ Hammonds is really going to have a, a, an easy time. You would think against guys like Thomas Bryant and some of their other big guys. Uh, but then again, you're going to have Yogi Ferrell and you know, all of that backcourt that should have just as good a matchup. So that's going to be a really fun one to me. And then the second one that I would pick is probably Kentucky, Texas A&M, because this Texas A&M team right now is reeling. I know that they beat Mississippi by 15 on Tuesday, but prior to that, they had lost five of six after being ranked in the top five. Uh, I can't remember the last time that happened. I wrote about this team right before they got ranked in the top five and they've fallen off a cliff since then, because that's the way that as Matt said, (laughs) things roll. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they need a win to get back on track. This game's at Reed arena in college station. Uh, And Kentucky's playing as well as anyone in the country right now. I mean, this is the kind of win that would really get Texas A&M back on track, but it's also the kind of game where Kentucky could really show that they are uh, a potential final four contender. I tell you yeah. one, one that's uh, I didn't mention uh, just in, ter- I mean, there's just so many teams in the mix. Pitt goes to Syracuse. I think Syracuse stinks. <laughs> I know it stinks, but like, and here's the thing. If Pitt wins, I could just really clog thing up, things up there. I mean, if Syracuse, if Syracuse wins, it makes it easier on us in terms of forecasting. And yeah, Pitt's just brutal, but they do have an opportunity there. And you can obviously see a situation where Syracuse could kind of blow that just because of the season and what Syracuse is. And Pitt is so weird. Um, I'm interested to see what LSU does at Tennessee. If it doesn't rebound, if it doesn't win, that could be trouble. Baylor, I, I mean, listen, they hit the skids and then they get a huge win against Iowa state. Like can Baylor <laughs> rebound um, and get a good win over Texas who I feel like Texas is a team. Like, yeah. Something's going on with Rico gathers. I don't know. It's there's, there's something going on with, with the entire big 12 dude. I mean, I don't know what to make of Baylor. Yeah. With gathers, it's a, it's a, a weird situation, but I think with <laughs> Texas, like this is a team that can make the elite eight that I feel like no one's really giving that much credit to. I Think agree. about what they've done without Cam Ridley. Like this is insane. Shaka, yeah. Shaka deserves a ton of credit for yep. what he's pulled off. Um, I still think they'll get picked off a couple more times before the season's done. But that one to me is a pretty interesting game on Saturday. I do think Duke is going to lose at Louisville, guys. <clears throat> and I'll let kind of Chip go away with this after um, after I toss my bid in here. But I wrote that like, okay, depth to me is overstated in college basketball without a doubt. I mean, if you've got seven, that's really all you need. And in some situations you might only need six. It's really on a case by case and on a team by team basis. Uh, but if you only have six, they better be six really good dudes. You really need seven and maybe like seven and a half. Duke is in a situation here. Like what is met the, the situation with Matt Jones's ankle? Is this going to be a high sprain where he's out for a month? And Emil Jefferson has a super interesting decision to make here because either he's got to burn the re- burn the year, and by burn I mean okay, I'm going to play for three or four games. Who knows what my impact is going to be? I'm not in game shape. Is it going to be even even worth it? Or do you sit you you come back for a Duke team that's going to be loaded next year? We'll see what his minutes. I th- he'll get minutes. Don't get me wrong, but you know it, it will be another situation similar to last year where Jefferson was a piece, but overshadowed rightfully so by Okafor and Winslow mm-hmm. and all that. So the Duke situation, I'm totally fascinated by. I resist this notion that because it suddenly turned a corner, it's one of the five best teams in college basketball. I just don't think that's the case because I think they need at minimally Jones because Chase Jeter has done nothing and he will do nothing. And, and Sean Obi has not been 
any sort of a factor. Random Norlander Sean Obi fact. I've gotten my hair cut by the same guy who cut Sean Obi's hair because he was originally from Norwalk, Connecticut, where I live. So oh, there you go. Been waiting forever to drop that in the podcast. Listeners, I know you appreciate this kind of stuff. <laughs> um, thoughts on Duke Chip, though. What, what do you think from the road game against Louisville? And are you buying that this is suddenly like a top 10 team because of what they've done over the past two weeks? I agree with you that depth can be a little bit overstated, but only uh, with the asterisks that, uh, you know, depth cannot be overstated when somebody gets in foul trouble. Now, one good thing that has helped foul trouble, uh, as we saw from North Carolina, the North Carolina game was not only, you know, North Carolina's play, but the fact that, hey, Marshall Plumley played with four fouls pretty effectively. And just to do that in general is somewhat of an accomplishment, but I don't think that's going to happen every time you talk about the chance that Duke might lose at Louisville. Like, yeah, because they're running on that thin line where, you know, if, if everything breaks just the right way, then we'll, yeah, I do think they're one of the 10 best teams in the country, but I, I don't think that if we're talking about a total body of work, if we're talking about trying to, trying to judge more than uh, where your potential or your ceiling is, then I'm, I'm not going to put them up there uh, as somebody that I feel confident about. But, you know, as we saw in the second half of that game, you know, if those five players are all able to stay on the floor, uh, Mike Krzyzewski said this, and I think it's the most indicative thing about this team. He said, because they're so young, they don't have any habits and they're all eager to learn. And that's one thing that I think that, Maybe, you know, we kind of gawk at Mike Krzyzewski as being one of the best coaches in college basketball history. But what about the players that show up and they really are have this sort of eager to please mentality. And because they don't have experience, they can adjust on the fly. And because Mike Krzyzewski is so good at adapting, that's the thing where they do. You know, they're able to improve their defense in the second half. They're able to just go run these ISO sets because he can just draw them up and they're just ready to go. So the fact that they have that adaptability does make them dangerous. And I would say they're one of the five most dangerous teams, Matt, but not one of the five best or even 10 best in the country necessarily. Sam, what are your thoughts on that? Um, Yeah, I think that the Emil Jefferson thing is kind of tough. You know, he's a guy that will play professionally somewhere and he turns 23 in May. So, like, what do you do if you're him? You're a guy who's averaging double-double this year. Yeah, like, I don't, I don't think you can count on Emil back. I don't think you can count on Matt Jones back. I think you've got to take this Duke team for what it is and just sort of, like, play that game. I think you can count on Matt Jones being back. But, you know, Emil, or you mean this year? Oh, no, I mean this year. But I'm just saying, like, just being, like, it's it's just going to be a story. Like, Matt Jones is going to be dealing with an ankle, like, throughout the rest of the year. That's just kind of, like. The, the way that the, the story is going to break. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. As far as Jefferson, though, I mean, I think that if Jefferson can play, he will probably return this year. Uh, like if if he gets healthy enough to play, I don't really think that uh, the red shirt is something that will end up being end up coming into play, really. Uh, it's either if he play, if he's healthy enough, I think he'll play. If he's not, I don't think he will just because the age will come into play and he's a professional player. Um as far as what this team is, uh, uh, our buddy Rob Doster over at NBC wrote a really good thing about Duke's defense. They made some really nice defensive adjustments recently and improved on that end, just like they did last year around this time. Maybe it's a thing that Coach K is doing now uh, when February comes around. He's just adjusting and making the defense good. Uh, <laughs> you would think that maybe that would be a full full season thing that you want, but I think that Coach K is going on the half season idea right now. Um, anyway, I think that this Duke team is a second weekend team. It's hard to imagine them as much more than that, because like Matt said, at a certain point, I think that you do need depth during a college basketball season, especially whenever you're talking about playing uh, a two game and three night scenario in the NCAA tournament, uh, where, you know, you don't know how foul trouble is going to get. You don't know the luck of the draw with the referees is going to be because, Oh boy, over the last few weeks, we've seen some, uh, interesting <laughs> officiating over the last few weeks. So, uh, I don't know what you can do really. If you're Duke at this point, you got to hope that you get healthy and, uh, maybe it works out, but, uh, it's a tough team to judge right now, for sure. All right. So Sam uh, is a crazy person, and <laughs> he has once again ranked slash re-ranked the top 101 players in college basketball. Now, this is a really cool thing and a good thing because it's a great way to catch up on 
just you know the recalibration of who's doing what, who's really uh, performing at high levels, at all levels within within the game. So you want to just go ahead and babble about this latest list. <laughs> I mean, it's it's impressive. Um, I would agree with your top five, mm-hmm. and I think the Euless love is definitely well well earned. Uh, but overall, I mean, what are you doing putting London, London Parantis at 91, man? We got serious issues. Julian, Julian Jacobs only at 84. Are you drunk right now? How are you going to explain putting my man, (laughs) Robert Carter at 56? I said that guy should have been top 20 in the preseason. Not, not shout out Isaiah Cousins at 69. (laughs) I did not even say he even belonged there at Robert Carter. And I was, I was definitely wrong about that. A um, couple more quick notes, though. You have Marcus Page at 33. That's something no one would have had in the early part of the season. I am so there with you with the Page stuff. And uh, I would actually say Josh Hart at 30 might be – or 31 might be a little undervalued. Sam, take it away. Yeah, the Page one is interesting because UNC fans came at me and said, why is he so high? Wow. <laughs> I was not expecting that. Uh, They're in a dark Indi- place, Are Indiana man. fans killing you for Yogi only at 17? No, yeah. Indiana fans, for some reason, have a weird thing where they don't like Yogi Ferrell. Okay, uh, whatever. I, yeah, Yogi is not a guy. Yogi's a guy that I will get yelled at, just like Marcus Page, for having too high, because I'm always super high on Yogi Ferrell. Um, the guy that I think I've gotten the most crap for is probably Bryce Johnson at 13, I think I have him. Uh, Bryce doesn't play defense. Whenever your coach is making public jokes and press conferences after wins like, Oh yeah. Bryce even got down the stance one time. He broke out in a sweat and he lived through it. Like he made a similar joke when I saw him in Brooklyn, by the way. Yeah. So this is not I, like a one-time thing. <laughs> this is not new for Bryce. Uh, he's still 13th. Like that's still all American level, but I can't put him in the top 10. Um, Malcolm Brogdon, I think is the most underrated player in college basketball. I don't think people realize how, remarkable he has been this year if you look at his per possession scoring numbers they're right on pace with cat barbers it's crazy he's actually a more efficient shooter than cat barber too Uh, if you look at his defense then on top of that he is the best wing defender in college basketball pure and simple you can throw him on a guy like cat barber like they did earlier this week and he shut him down you can throw him on a guy like brandon ingram Uh, which Virginia did in that game. And he shut Ingram down after Ingram went on that 18 point spurt uh, at the end of the first half and beginning of the second half. Brogdon is at seven on this list. And I think that I might be too low on him. Um, What else did you guys notice? Anything? Well, I give it you here. Just uh, give Kay Felder some love, dude. Guy's ridiculous. That's true. Kay Felder. Uh, Kay Felder has 15 games this season where he scored 15 points and dished out 10 assists Uh, before Thursday night. I don't know if Denzel Valentine changed this with that game. Uh, No one else in America has five games like that. Uh, No one in the last 20 years has even averaged 18 points and nine assists in a game. Uh, Kay Felder is averaging 24 points and nine assists a game. Uh, He's also put himself in a position to where he might be able to break Bobby Hurley's all-time assists record. He'd have to average, I think, 9.3 per game over the course of his career to get it. Assuming that he plays, I want to say I estimated 36 or 38 games. That's tough, man. The rest of his career. He's averaging 9.2 assists right I now. Know, but to get 36 games, <laughs> I mean, they'd have to, it's a weird thing. Well, first of all, it's a bummer that the Verizon can only send Valpo or Oakland because Felder is the kind of dude that you want to see in the tournament. And maybe they do that next year and he fi- and he gets there as a senior and he balls out. That would be awesome. But Valpo is kind of the better team. And is, I think Valpo actually has the personnel with the right matchup to get to the second weekend. But um, the thing with Felder, you have to remember, is, though, it probably works better for him in this if they go to the NIT. Right. Which I'm sure that they don't want to do uh, because he'll be able to potentially play more games i agree agree. so yeah like felder has been just totally ridiculous this season um trying to think of anyone else jamal murray is a guy that i think a lot of people forgot about in a lot of ways uh he's averaging 21 points maybe up to 22 or 23 after tonight uh in sec play with uh per of 25.2 his Turnover rates down to 8.3 after that being like kind of sky high to start the season. Uh, He was kind of trying to do too much, but the game has really slowed down for him recently. And it's been really fun to watch. Yeah. What else stands out to you guys? Anything? Chip, 
Anything in particular about Sam's <clears throat> opus? Your uh, love, I mean, I'm, I'm with you on Brogdon. And, and I do think while uh, you might say underrated, I would say that uh, to report here from ACC country, you know, when when the league is looked at, he is he is mentioned in the same breath as anybody else in the ACC Player of the Year conversation. Like no one, mm-hmm. no one, no one is tripping on the idea that anyone is definitively better than Brogdon. And and it is a a year where I think a lot of people, the sentiment that was shared this week was we are actually thankful that we have a, an ACC Player of the Year debate that has uh, the level of. You know, we're debating Grayson Allen, Brandon Ingram, Bryce Johnson, Malcolm Brogdon. Oh, yeah. Demetrius Jackson is like putting the team yeah. on his back dough. Like, like we've got some really, really high level of play in the ACC individually, even though some of these players aren't going to crack the play, the national player of the year debate. It certainly is a, a fun, uh, fun crop to watch. So I'm with you on Brogdon. Absolutely. Uh, and, and, you know, just quickly on, on Murray, like, like if him and Ulysses go off, Kentucky is, is a team that could just be so fun. And you could, in a, in a, I'm preparing myself again, and I'll keep coming back to it. I'm just preparing myself for some team to just put it all together at the right time, catch a, catch a good run. And whether it be through a conference tournament or through like the first or second weekend, like Kentucky could just end up in the final four. You know, mm-hmm. Murray gets hot, Ulysses gets hot, and like looking at your list, seeing seeing where both them are and how that could come together, man. It's uh, it's fun. It's fun to think about, fun to imagine. But with the inconsistency, you just don't feel confident about anyone. Here's my yeah, th- no, go yeah. Go ahead, Matt. Well, my th- here's my issue with it, dude. Pick 101 names. You don't need to. You list like 25 dudes, other players who just missed out on making the list. And I do. And Keelan Martin wasn't even one of those dudes. When we do our preseason top 101 next yeah, year, I'm basically right. going to mandate that Keelan Martin is in the top 40 because that dude is breaking out by the game. Okay? I agree with that. I was wrong for not including him in that list. You're right. But, like, <laughs> yeah, but how are you going to kick Isaiah Miles off? We were just talking about how St. Joseph has no, his no, best no, no, no. start right now the since the yeah. undefeated season. Yeah, yeah, no. I'm talking, he has like. 20 names of guys that just missed out. Yeah. You've already listed 101. You're going with Antonio Campbell, Gary Clark, Marvell Harris, Jordan McLaughlin. Yeah, Keelan should be there over a lot of those guys. I agree with that. It, uh, another guy I want to point out that's down in Chip's area of North Carolina, John Brown from High Point. Shout out. Uh, shout out, John Brown. He's leading the NCAA right now with a 37 PER. Uh if you don't really follow advanced stats, a 37 PER is absolutely ridiculous. Since 2010, the people that have led the country in PER have been DeMarcus Cousins, Kenneth Fareed, Anthony Davis, Kelly Olenek, Alan Williams, and Frank Kaminsky. So, I like, think, did Fareed have the best of those? I'm a little rough. Uh, Olenek did. Oh, it, Olenek did. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, 36.2. John Brown's at 37. It's higher than all of those guys that led the country in PER over the last six years. This one, uh, seventh year. So uh, his career at high point has just been so remarkable. He deserves all of the credit that he gets. And I think he actually does get a decent amount of national publicity for playing at a place like high point, but it should probably be even more. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, listen, thank you everyone for listening. Um, you should follow these fellows on Twitter if you're not already. It's at Sam underscore Vicini, and Vicini is V-E-C-E-I-N-E. And it's at – did, did I say it wrong? V-E-C-E-N-I-E. There you go. What did I say before? I-N-E. No, oh, well, well, it is what it is. It's Chip, close. Uh, it's at, at Chip underscore Patterson, just like it sounds. If you're digging Chip, uh, allow me to plug my music podcast one more time because uh, Records and Riffs is a is a music thing I do on the side. Chip guested on the Benfolds 5 episode. Shout out to the Triangle music scene. We go way deep into the legend of the five there, and there are many other music things as well. Chip. Thanks for coming on, buddy. We we will not make this be a, a one-time thing. We promise to get you on at some point in other regards. And I want to give your, you a shout-out. Man, we've been shout-out crazy on this. I'm going with a second shout-out to Devin Downey, a shout-out to Howie Dickerman <laughs> retiring from CCSU, the 351st team in Ken Palm right now. But he's a good dude. But shout-out again to Chip because he also is a part of the College Football Podcast Network on CBS Sports. Pleasure. Uh, thanks, thanks for having me on. And, hey, listen, I – 
when are you gonna get my my desert island submissions out on records and riffs? It's, because I'm I might need to make adjustments by the time might, that it comes out. I might have to I might have to hit you up with that. Um, it's it's coming. It's it's a slow build, but it is there. Sam, I don't have any plans on having a Fetty Wap episode on the records and riffs <laughs> podcast. Is Desert Islands a band? No, oh no, no. Your five your five okay. desert desert island uh, albums. I bet you there is a band called <clears throat> Desert Islands though. There's a yeah, Future like, Islands. Exactly. There's a band called yeah. Future Islands, which uh, that ain't my style. I, I just, it, it doesn't. Are you feeling that band ship? That, that doesn't do it for me, really. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't pay to, I don't give my a full night. Um, but when my friends put it on an iPod and we're all hanging out, I'll give them a couple songs. Yeah, yeah, I, I, guess. I gotta tell you guys too. I mean, Matt's yelling out the Fetty Wap, but I've been listening to a lot of like mid 2000s pop punk recently oh yeah and yeah just just going full on toss a like band name out there on me you right know now, like your, your, your taking back sunday your uh, <laughs> newfound glory your uh even some brand new some every avenue come on uh, save the day save the day while you're at saves it. the day oh my saves god chip and i on the same wavelength right there with save the day are you kidding me Save the day reference. Some stray light run. Just just going all into that uh, high school angsty uh, emo mix. And I wasn't even really an emo kid in high school, but just going all into that. Dude, stay what you are and through being cool. I had those yes. on lock in my oh car. My. Absolutely. Gosh, that is those two total... saves the day albums are just stellar. Oh, my gosh. Next thing you know, Sam's going to tell me he's listening to something corporate. And we're really going to go down. <laughs> I have them on that playlist along with Jack's Mannequin absolutely insane all right i did i did appreciate that very much so thank you everyone for listening uh you can subscribe right there on itunes ion college basketball podcast do rate it and uh tell your friends about it we're hitting the, the biggest part of the season there gary Parrish, we love you we miss you we hope you are on monday's podcast but we'll take it day by day and we'll talk to you soon thanks so much for everyone for listening enjoy a great week in college weeks.